everyone, and welcome to the Live Through Jesus podcast with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, we're going to be talking about how precious our lives are to the Lord. This is the sixth commandment found in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, and I'll be reading all the scriptures from the ESV version. Quickly before we get started, if you're new to Live Through Jesus, make sure you go to livethroughjesus.com and sign up to receive your free five-week Bible study over Abraham. There you'll also find blog posts that coincide with the teachings on this podcast and social media links, which is another way to keep in touch throughout the week. Okay, let's get started. So has anyone ever gotten mad at you or gotten on to you about something and you're like, what? It's not like I killed somebody or something. We think this is a pretty good excuse. And honestly, in human terms, it's a pretty good thing that we have kept ourselves from killing other people, right? And this might even feel like a pretty good excuse to God. I mean, do not murder. That's one of the top 10. So if I'm not breaking those big ones, right, then I'm doing all right. But if you read past Deuteronomy a little bit, you start to realize that was kind of just the minimum. It's like, don't kill somebody is really a pretty low bar. (laughs) And if we call ourselves Christians, which actually means Christ follower, then we're held to a little higher standard, right? If you're following someone, then you're basically doing what they do, which obviously is a high bar that we can't reach when it's regarding Jesus. But he does expect more of us than just the bare minimum. So today, as we talk about the sixth commandment, not to murder, we're going to see what murder is in the technical sense. So we're going to look at accidental killing, war, things like that. And then we're going to see what the punishment is for murder. And then we're going to go beyond the books of Moses into the New Testament and see what Jesus has to say to his followers on this subject. And you might find out that you actually have killed somebody after all. So (laughs) let's go ahead and look at the sixth commandment. I'm going to read it out of Exodus 20, 13. It's actually the exact same in Deuteronomy 5, 17, you shall not murder. And so I'm going to read you a couple of verses in other places in the first five books that talk about murder. This first one is in Genesis 9, 5, and 6, and it says, For your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. For every beast I require it, and for man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. It is really hard to say require reckoning. Anyway. Verse six, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed for God made man in his own image. So he's telling us that because he made us in his own image, our lives are more precious to him than the lives of any other. And then in Leviticus 24, 17 to 22, it says, whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good, life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor, as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given to a person shall be given to him. 
Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, and whoever kills a person shall be put to death. You shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native. I am the Lord your God. And so we'll go into this a little bit further later. But what we're trying to establish here is that justice requires that bodily harm be equally applied to the perpetrator and that taking an innocent life is punishable by death. So that's just what we're trying to establish here. Now, notice that I said innocent life. Killing someone in battle is not murder. They have a whole separate set of rules for war. And then also accidental killing is not murder. And so let me read to you what it says in Exodus 21, 12 through 14. Whoever strikes a man so that he dies must be put to death. But if he didn't lie and wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place that you may flee. But if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. So what this is saying is if you hurt someone accidentally, but God still allows that person to die, that's not on you. You didn't do it on purpose. That person may have died, but you didn't intend that. And so God made provision for those that accidentally kill someone And that's all laid out in Numbers 35. I'm not going to read all of it, but what it says is that when they get into the promised land, God is going to give them cities that they can run to if they kill someone accidentally. And that is the city of refuge. That is their place that they will be safe until they can stand trial. And so if someone is killed, then the person that kills them goes to the city of refuge and then he stands trial in front of the whole congregation. And the congregation decides whether he did it by accident or whether it was intentional. If he killed him intentionally, then he's a murderer and he's put to death. If it's an accident, then he's sent back to the city of refuge. He doesn't get to go home, which sounds, you know, kind of like he's going to prison, even though he didn't do it on purpose. But this is really for his protection because God knows that it's going to be very difficult for a person whose family member has been killed to see their killer just walking free along the streets. And so for that person's protection, they stay in the city of refuge until the high priest that presided over his trial dies. And then that person can go back to their home. Basically, then their family has to decide they've fulfilled their debt to that family. And this wasn't a prison. It was a whole entire town where people are living that have also done this exact same thing, where it was an accident and now they can't go back to their hometown. And the alternative is that they get put to death. So it was really for this person's protection. And it also just shows, again, how precious a person's life is to the Lord. Even if they were killed accidentally, God takes that seriously. And he knows that justice for the family member means that they don't have to see you every day walking free while their loved one is dead. And so if you did it accidentally, then you go back to the city of refuge. If you're found guilty of murder, then you're put to death. And it says that the avenger of blood is the person that puts you to death. And that person is the closest family member. This is how the person receives justice for the killing of their family member. 
The only atonement for innocent blood is the blood of the killer. That's the only way. And so God also says no ransom can be accepted for this person's life because he requires, regardless, even if the family member says, oh, no, I have pity on them. God requires that a murderer not go free. And then God in his way that I was talking about last week, how he gives us explanation of things. He gives exact examples of what murder is so that they can judge whether it's an accident or whether it is intentional. And so I'm going to read some of these to you because I want you to see how specific he is. This is Numbers 35, 16 through 23. And he says, if you strike him down with an iron object so that he dies, it's murder. If you strike him down with a stone tool that can cause death and he dies, it's murder. If you strike him down with a wooden tool so that it causes death and he dies, you're a murderer. If you push him out of hatred or hurl something at him lying in wait so that he dies or in enmity, you strike him down with your hand so that he dies. Then he who struck the blow is to be put to death. He is a murderer. But If he pushed him suddenly without enmity or hurled anything at him without lying in wait or uses a stone that could cause death and without seeing him drops it on him so that he dies, though he was not his enemy and did not seek harm, then he is innocent. And then it describes it again in Deuteronomy 19 verses four and five. If anyone kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hatred for him in the past, As when someone goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood and his hand swings the axe to cut down a tree and the head of the axe slips from the handle and strikes the neighbor so that he dies, then he can flee to one of the cities and live. So he's saying, this is this is an accident. You're swinging the axe. The head of the axe falls, uh, flies off, hits him and he dies. Obvious accident. So he's getting very specific here. And then in verse 11 of that same chapter, he says, but if anyone hates his neighbor and lies in wait for him and attacks him and strikes him fatally so that he dies and he flees to one of these cities, then the elders shall go get him from that city and take him to trial. And then the avenger of blood shall execute justice against him. And so God is giving us very explicit instructions how to know what is an accident and what is intentional. But we pretty much know if you did it on purpose, if you hate the person, if you hurt them on purpose, even if you didn't intend to kill them, if you were angry with them, then that's on you. If you weren't angry with them and something happens, then it's an obvious accident. Now, remember that first verse that we read in Leviticus that said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This verse here in Exodus kind of expands upon that a little bit. And so it doesn't just pertain to killing. It also pertains to harm. So this is Exodus 21, 18 and 19. And he says, when men quarrel and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist and the man doesn't die, but takes to his bed. Then if the man rises again and walks outdoors with his staff, he who struck him shall be clear. Only he shall pay for the loss of time and shall have him thoroughly healed. So what he's saying is, is that if two men are fighting and the man gets hurt, but he doesn't die, then the one that hurt him has to basically pay for his injuries and take care of him until he's able to work again. So this would only be the fair thing. Now, if they're fighting and he pokes his eye out, 
then it says that that man gets to poke his eye out. If they're fighting and he knocks out his tooth, then the other man gets to knock out his tooth. Well, this may sound to us like, oh my goodness, I would never do that. And that seems horrible. Why wouldn't we just forgive him? You know, they were both engaging in the fight. But it's actually helpful because if somebody pokes your eye out and you can't see anymore, you're tempted to not only poke their eye out, but, you know, break their legs and paralyze them or something, you know? And so God's saying, this is equal justice. The person that was injured can't go any further than what the person did to them. And then on the flip side, it also keeps people in in check a little bit. It gives you a little self-control. If you want to have a fight, then you need to be aware of your strength and your anger and not do something that's going to permanently harm somebody. Because again, like we said about the accidental death, a person is still dead, right? And so that's the reason they go to the city of refuge because their family is still missing their family member, right? And so it's the exact same thing If somebody pokes your eye out, you still can't see. And so even if they were not really doing it on purpose, it's not really justice for them to just get to walk around like nothing ever happened and you to be over here trying to function half blind. And so this is justice. And God's trying to tell us that he is a just God. You know, if you're the person that did it by accident, then you're like, why would we get my eye poked out? But if you're the person that's, I got poked out, you're like, well, why do you get to walk around seeing perfectly normal just because we got in a fight, right? And so God is just, he cares about both parties. And that's what he's trying to reflect here. He's trying to show that we are made in his image. And he cares about each and every one of us. And he wants us safe and protected. And there are consequences for those that harm and kill. Now, God even gives provision if another person gets accidentally harmed in the process of two men fighting. And so this is Exodus 21, 22 to 25. And he says, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her child comes out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined as the woman's husband shall impose on him and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and strap for strap. And so if a pregnant woman is hit and it causes her to go into labor, then they wait to find out the health of the baby. If the baby's fine, then no problem. It's the same as the two men having a fight and everybody's fine at the end of it. But if the baby's harmed, then it's just as if he had harmed that man or that woman. That's what he's trying to say here. Now, some people say, no, he was talking about the woman, if the woman was harmed. Well, if that's the case, if he was talking about the woman, then why does he say a pregnant woman? Why doesn't he just say if two men are fighting and they hit the woman and something happens to her? Or if they're just talking about the mother that happens to be pregnant, then why do they say wait until the baby's born to see if it's healthy, right? And so they're talking about this baby. God is saying that this baby inside her womb is alive. 
It is precious to him. And if something happens to this baby, then it's just as if something happened to a person that had already been born. I know this is controversial and God says, sometimes my teachings are hard, but stick with me because you're going to find that there's grace in this whole lesson. Okay. So just stick with me. But I think that that's what this is saying. People disagree, but that's my own understanding. And in Psalm 139, 13 to 16, it says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame wasn't hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. And so what this is saying is that God has labored in our creation from the very beginning. He carefully chose exactly what our DNA would consist of from the very beginning, before it grew us into our full form, right? Our DNA is unique to us from the very beginning, before we're fully formed into this baby that can be born into the world. And so I believe that these two verses here are saying that our lives are precious to him from conception. And we also have to remember that unless we're raped, we have the choice whether to have sex or not. But God is the one that makes the choice as to whether we get pregnant or not. It talks about this all throughout the Old Testament. We'll say God kept this child, kept me from having children, or God gave me this child all throughout the Old Testament. Listen to what it says in Genesis 31 and 2. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. And she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of your womb? So he said, God is the one that's not letting you get pregnant. I'm not. Jacob is doing everything to get her pregnant. He's doing his job. And so he says, I'm not in the place of God. That's his business. And so God is the one that decides whether that baby is woven in our womb or not. And at the moment that he begins to do that, he has created that life with a unique DNA special to that precious little child. And that life is just as important to him as any other. And so if he works all things together in that very moment to create this unique life, then obviously it's valuable to him, right? No person has the right to take an innocent life that's created by God. I believe that this is biblical. I wouldn't be saying it. I'm not trying to just get out here and say controversial things and alienate people, okay? I'm I'm going through this passage because that's what this passage says. And I'm just trying to relay to you things that God is saying to us and how I'm interpreting those scriptures. And I read them to you so you have opportunity to interpret them different if you so choose. But I believe in this wholeheartedly. Now, if you agree with me, this also helps you because you've got some scriptures here to back those things up. Now, if you happen to be a person that has taken an innocent life in some way, 
stay with me. Okay. Stay with me because this gets so much better. There's grace for all of us. We're moving into the second half of this now, and you're going to see that your life is precious to God too. Just as he didn't discriminate in the fight between the two people against the one that did it by accident and the one that was injured, he's not discriminating here either. All of our lives are precious to him. So let's go ahead and move into the New Testament now and see what Jesus says about these laws that God gave and then also what he says specifically to murder. So in Matthew 5, 17 to 20, he says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So do you see how Jesus is setting a higher standard? He says, don't relax these standards. I'm actually asking you to meet a much higher bar than you may have realized. He's taking everything even a step further than the law did. And since obedience is never going to earn us eternal life anyway, then Jesus is just getting down to the heart of the matter, right? He's trying to tell us that love is actually the very most important thing. He's saying don't murder, but it's because he wants us to love one another. And so listen to what it says in Mark 12, 28 to 33. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, he asked them, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus said, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And then the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You've truly said that he is one and that there's none besides him. To love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And so what Jesus is saying is that ritualistic obedience completely misses the point. The whole purpose of all the laws is not to not murder someone. It's to love everyone. He says all of the laws can be summed up in these two things. Love God, love your neighbor. The first four commandments tell us to love God. Don't worship other gods. Don't make carved images. Don't take his name in vain and obey the Sabbath, right? And then all these last six that we're talking about all have to deal with loving our neighbor. And so he says, the laws aren't actually telling you things not to do. They're teaching you how to love God and how to love your neighbor. God wants our heart to be in it. That's the gist of it. And so then he explains what he considers as murder. Listen to this. This is Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable of judgment. 
But I say to you that everyone who is angry with with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says to him, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. And so not only does he just not want us to kill people, but he doesn't want us to be angry with each other because anger leads to hatred. And those that hate others do not love the precious life that God gave to them, right? And so he's like, don't let your anger boil. Get control of it. This is definitely a higher standard. He said, I'm not just saying don't murder. Don't even let yourself sit in your anger towards another person because you're putting yourself in danger when you do that. When we hate others, we're aligning ourselves with Satan, whether we realize it or not. And when we love others, we're aligning ourselves with God. Listen to what it says in 1 John 2, 9 to 11. Whoever says he is in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And then in 1 John 3, 11 to 16, it says, For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. We shouldn't be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death and death into life because we love our brothers. Whoever doesn't love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this, we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers. And then even though Jesus stressed this point, this was actually something that God told the Israelites from the beginning. Listen to what it says in Leviticus 19, 17 and 18. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So this wasn't a new commandment. Jesus was just really, really reinforcing it. We're supposed to talk things out with one another and come to an understanding and not be angry with each other because our anger could cause us to sin. And so this is a protection towards us. Yes, the ultimate desire is that we don't murder them. But Jesus is like, let's stop before that, okay? Because you don't know where your anger is going to lead once you give it full reign, right? And then he also talks about taking vengeance and holding grudges. That's not justice, right? We talked about justice a while ago. God doesn't want us to harbor bitterness in our hearts. So he wants us to let it go quickly. The whole goal is love, and that's what we have to keep in mind. Jesus explained our obligation towards those that treat us badly in Romans 12, 17 to 19. And he says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And then in Matthew 5, 38 through 48, 
Jesus says, you've heard that it is said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But so Jesus is going back and he's saying all of these laws where it says don't murder or an eye for an eye. This is what I have to say about them. So this is so important. You have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, give to him your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go a mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and don't refuse the one who would borrow from you. You've heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you so that you may be the sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who loved you, what reward do you have for that? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Again, really high bar. But what he's trying to say is align yourself with God, not with Satan. And here's the thing. It doesn't absolve a person from their evil. Jesus isn't doing that. He isn't saying, oh, it's perfectly fine. If you want to hit people, they should let you. No big deal. He's not talking to the person that's doing the thing. He's talking to the person that is having it done to them. And so in the Old Testament, whenever God is giving them the laws, he's trying to teach them how to set up their entire nation. This is their government. And so he's saying when a person does this to someone, this is what the how the government handles that. This is different. Jesus is talking specifically to his followers. This would be like me talking to my child. When my kids would come home from school and they would say, so-and-so's doing this to me or so-and-so's doing that to me. I didn't want to call up there at the school. I didn't want to call their mamas. I didn't go talk to the kids. You know, I tried to teach the kids how to handle that themselves. And so, no, I wouldn't think that it's perfectly fine for another kid to hit my kid, but I'm not in charge of that child. And so if someone hits my child, then I have to tell my child how to handle them. And that's what Jesus is doing. These are his followers that he's talking to. And so he's saying, if someone hits you, you don't repay them. Let me repay them. Vengeance is for God. God knows what's happening. He'll deal with that person. You, as my follower, you're supposed to just continue to be kind and loving And when you do that, you align yourself with me and that shows me to others and maybe that will change the person. But it's not your job to take vengeance or hold a grudge. Now, again, the government is different. This is not what he's talking about here. Jesus is just holding us to the same standard of love and mercy and understanding that he has for us, right? God does these things for us. He has mercy and love and understanding towards us. And so he's asking us to do the same thing. And so we're supposed to control our anger. Ecclesiastes 7, 9 says, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. So that's what he's saying. This is dangerous for you to be angry. It's going to make you bitter and you don't know what you're going to do after that. Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. 
Don't sit there and stew in it and let it build. That's what he's saying. Take care of the situation. Deal with it quickly so that you're not harboring any anger. James 1, 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Control your emotions. Practice loving each other. Even if our anger is justified, we can't let it linger because then Satan gets a foothold. And then we don't know what's going to happen, right? In the written lesson that I'll eventually have published for you guys, there's a lot of verses in Proverbs that talk about anger and controlling our anger and all of those things. I don't have time to read all of those here for you right now, but I'll list them in the notes on this. And so if you want to go and look up some of these Proverbs verses, if these are things that you struggle with and you just want to reiterate or have things memorized so you can tell yourself, don't do this. This is what the Bible says. Then you'll have those verses. So you can look at those later on. And then I'm going to end with this. This is God's grace. Okay. It's grace for us all because I hope you're now seeing that we're all falling short of keeping this commandment. John 13, 34 and 35 says a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So that's why he was telling his disciples to be loving, because that's how people will know that you are mine. When we align ourselves with God, then we reflect him to others. When we align ourselves with Satan, then we obviously do not. And then Galatians 2, 19 to 21 says, For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So he's saying we can't meet these standards. We cannot meet these standards. Maybe we can technically not kill a person. But we can't meet the standards of loving our neighbor in the way that God loves us. We cannot be a Christ follower like that. And he knows it. And that's why I came to die. And he says, if you're trying to keep these laws, you're going to fall short. And then you're going to feel guilty. And you're going to think you're a bad person. And that's not the case. You're not a bad person. You're just a person. And God knew that all of us were going to break these laws. And that's why he sent his son to die. But he said, if you're trying to keep all these laws, then Jesus died in vain. So don't let it be that way. Instead of focusing on don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. I have to be all of these things. Just try to love other people. Try to be more like him and then accept his grace when you're not. James 2, 8 through 13. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, then you're doing well. But if you show partiality, then you're committing a sin and you're convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. 
For he who said, don't commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you don't commit adultery, but you do murder, then you've become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So if you previously felt guilty, then see that you're not any different from anyone else. We're all guilty. That's what this is saying is that you can't keep all of the laws. And if you break one of the laws, then you're a lawbreaker. When when people are in prison, do we always know what they've done? All of the people broke the law. And that's what God's saying to us. You can sit here and you can tell me, oh, I don't do this. And I don't do this. And I don't do this. And God's like, okay, great. I'm glad about that. What about this one? And then you're like, oh. No, I I have done that. And God's like, right, you're a lawbreaker, just like everybody else. And you need somebody to pay your debt. And that's why he sent Jesus. Sinners need a savior. You're a sinner, just like everybody else. And even though obviously that's not ideal, it is the truth. And so if you've been sitting here feeling bad, thinking, man, I've, I've done some of these things that I've been told not to do. Then just understand that that's why Jesus sent his son and accept his sacrifice for you and move forward trying to follow him better. And then on the flip side, if you were sitting here while I go judging or sitting here self-righteous thinking, look at me, I don't do any of these things. Do you feel the same now? Do you see that you're just the same? If any of us allow ourselves to sit in our anger or meditate on our sin long enough, then we could fall into the same trap as those people that we're judging. And so that's really the lesson to us today is have some self-control. Stop it before it goes too far. Don't allow yourself to sit there And think about doing something that you know God doesn't want you to do. Because it only starts with a thought and that's just a seed. And then you water it and then it grows. And then it begins to take on a life of its own. So instead of trying to focus on following all of the laws, focus on loving your neighbor. Because it's not just enough to obey. God wants our heart. He wants us to let love compel us into obedience. That's the purpose of all of his laws. So I hope this has given you a couple of things to think about today. I hope you'll stick with me. If you did happen to disagree, sometimes we're going to, but I have to tell you what I believe God is saying or I wouldn't be a good teacher. And so sometimes things are hard. Sometimes we don't want to hear them, but I hope that by the end you were like, oh, I wanted to hear that. I wanted to hear grace. I wanted to hear I'm no different than anyone else. Because if you're sitting here thinking that you've done bad, you need to hear that you're no different than anyone else. Everybody else is a sinner. If you're sitting here thinking that you're great, then you need to hear you're no different than anyone else. You're a sinner. So anyway, that's all we have for today. 
next week, we're going to move on to the seventh commandment. We're making our way through. So make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss that episode. Please leave me a five-star review and comment, comment, comment. I'd like to know what y'all think about this. I really would. Even if you disagree, I'd like to know. But just make sure you're backing it up with something biblical because it's easy for all of us to let our feelings get in the way. Some of these things are hard. I'd like to know if that if it has helped you, if if you're understanding a little bit more why he wrote down some of these things that maybe you previously thought were harsh. I would love to hear how you feel about that also. And if it's lifted you up, if it's helped you feel like you can get out from under your sin because that's what God wants for us. Or if it's helped you kind of tamp down the self-righteousness just a little bit. So anyway, wherever you stand, I'd like to hear from you. So comment wherever you're listening. Also, you can email me. My email address is on my website, livethroughjesus.com. Then you can also find the blog post that will coincide with this lesson there and links to my social media. I'll be putting verses throughout the week there that also pertain to this. So I'll see you guys next week. Thanks and have a good day. Thank you.